It's the Farmer to Farmer podcast, episode 123, and this is your host, Chris Blanchard. In this episode, we revisit Jess and Brian Powers at Working Hands Farm 18 months after they were first on the show on episode 40. Since the fall of 2015, Working Hands Farm has gone through some significant changes and phenomenal growth on their property in Hillsboro, Oregon, just outside of Portland on the north end of the Willamette Valley. Jess and Brian have gone from raising four acres of vegetables in 2015 to eight acres now, and they've expanded their on-farm CSA to cover 48 weeks of the year, all with just the two of them, plus the recent addition of a part-time employee. In the past year, they've gotten out of the livestock business to focus on their produce business, standardized their farming operations, and made significant investments in machinery and infrastructure on their farm. We dig into all of these changes and the rationales behind them, as well as how the changes are helping them to face the extreme wet weather challenges they've encountered this year. When I interviewed Justin Bryan the first time, it was clear that although they were working insane hours, they found ways to emphasize and build their personal relationship. So we also come back to how they've continued to nurture their love for each other alongside of their professional and business development. The Farmer to Farmer podcast is made possible with the generous support of Vermont Compost Company, founded by organic crop-growing professionals committed to meeting the need for high-quality compost and compost-based living soil mixes for certified organic plant production. VermontCompost.com and by CoolBot by Store It Cold. You can build an affordable walk-in cooler powered by a CoolBot and a window air conditioning unit. Save up to 83% on upfront costs and up to 42% on monthly electrical bills compared to conventional cooling systems. And by BCS America. BCS two-wheel tractors are versatile, maneuverable in tight spaces, lightweight for less compaction, and easy to maintain and repair on the farm. Gear-driven and built to last for decades of dependable service. BCS America. Com. Jess and Brian Powers, welcome to the Farmer to Farmer podcast. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having us back. Hey, Chris. Happy to be here. So glad you guys could join me today. So it's actually June 1st. So you guys are joining me at a time I know, even in the Pacific Northwest, this is sort of a, a, a critical time in the farming year. So thank you so much for taking this time on a day like today to make this work. Absolutely. Absolutely. Things are definitely starting to heat up out there. That's for sure. So I'd like to start off. Now, you guys were on the show back in episode 40, and we're going to spend some time talking later in, the, in, in today's show about how your farm has changed over time and why it's changed and, and what the repercussions of that have been. I'd like to start off today by having you guys talk about your farm and where you're at today. Uh, you know, how many acres are you farming? What are you growing and how are you guys moving it off the farm? All right. So currently we have about eight acres in vegetable production in Hillsboro, Oregon. Um, our whole farm is comprised of 40 acres. And for the past three or four years, a lot of that has been in pasture, which we're now putting back into vegetable production. And uh, out of those eight acres, that does a 28-week CSA season for spring, summer, and fall, and a 18-week winter CSA season um, through the months of November to April. So we're growing, what is it, 48 weeks out of a 52-week uh, season. So we're harvesting that many weeks out of the year for vegetables. And so the... Spring and summer and fall CSA, we're doing 152 households this year. And then for the winter, we're projecting uh, the last couple years, we've done about 65 weekly members or households. And this year, we're hoping to get closer to about 80 households. 
So that should be interesting. So we really love the winter CSA. That's been something that we were going into the last time we chatted in 2015 um, as our first season. And it's really become, I don't know, we just absolutely love the winter CSA. So every year we try to grow that a little bit more, even with the crazy winners we've been having and just been loving it. You said crazy winners. You guys are located just outside of Portland, Oregon, right? Exactly. Yes. Which for the last, I don't know, four years, we've kind of lucked out with weather in the winter where we've had really mild, maybe a little bit wet, of course, but um, milder winters. And this past winter was just, we got 12 inches of snow. We had freezing rain and windstorms and, you know, <laughs> which we're not really that used to. So um, especially when you're still growing outside in uncovered spaces, we didn't really know what to expect with the winter CSA. But um, the more and more we do winter CSA, the more we realize how resilient vegetables are. And it actually takes a little bit of the stress off during the summer because we trust that things will just work out um, after experiencing you know, more extreme conditions in the wintertime. So <laughs> how long have you guys been farming there at Working Hands Farm? Brian, do you want to, you started it in uh, 2010 was your first, he broke ground in 2009, but his first official season was in 2010. And we were just two miles down the road um, and we were leasing land there. And then in 2013, we moved over to this property and we were building infrastructure and um, we've been here ever since. You said you guys are selling to the CSA 48 weeks of the year. Is that your only outlet? Yeah, that's currently our only outlet. It's uh, we focus um, 100% on CSA and uh, and all of that pickup is on site as well. So it's uh, definitely ser uh, serving a very local community to us. Yes. And that wasn't always the case when we first started. It was a lot of um, friends begging them to join the CSA and then do doing deliveries into Portland a couple times a week. We also sold to restaurants and would set up, you know, pop up markets and do the farmers markets uh, the first few years. And we ended up spending a lot more time off the farm than we were on the farm. And so once those priorities started to switch and we're like, hey, we want to be farming more. What can we do? Let's have more on-farm pickups. And then from there, the community was was there for us. So we were just able to add more and more farm pickups over the years. And then finally, we were able to just eliminate those drop-offs and stuff like that in order to prioritize just being the best farmers that we could. And we were ultimately the most productive when we were here on the farm. So it was just kind of a win-win for everybody. How did you guys go about making that change? Because that's, I mean, that I think would be almost every CSA farmer's dream is to have everybody coming and picking up on the farm instead of having to leave the place. How did you guys make that happen? I, I'm not sure if it was a choice for us. You know, it was one of those things that we were spending so much time. I mean, we even uh, did home delivery for a while uh, in, in my Subaru and, uh, <laughs> And it was one of those things where we were spending so much time off the farm and I was spending so much time driving around town that the quality of life that we were experiencing was was just being so severely diminished that a change had to come about. And so for us, which we're not that far 
Um, oh. We're about 17, 18 miles outside of downtown Portland. Um, but my vision for our farm was to to spend as much time doing the farming and the least amount of time doing the driving. And it's it was one of those things where we for us, we just had to make a change. And and I think doing restaurants and farmers markets and um, and having drop offs in town can be very fulfilling. But I, I think Jess and I are both very curious people and we wanted to see what it was like engaging our direct community, the folks that were around us. And it was actually Jess's idea to open up a, um, a pickup on the farm because I didn't think there were enough people in our community that would be interested in it. <laughs> and so when she did that and uh, it became quickly our most popular pickup. And so we started thinking to ourselves, you know, maybe we should double down and uh, maybe we should, if we're going to make this work, you know, uh, maybe that's what we have to do. It was a little scary, too, because at that point it was like eliminating a third <laughs> of our CSA members who had been there for the past two or three years. And so it was kind of a big leap of faith. You know, we just let everybody know what was going on and, and the shift in the farm. And, I, you know, some people were a bit sad because they, they had grown attached to the vegetables and that sort of thing. But we do still have a handful of people who commute out from Portland just to pick up the vegetables. But um, ultimately, it was, you know, there's we're really close to Beaverton and Hillsborough. And there's a lot of young techs and young families that are moving to this area. And I feel like people are just looking for, you know, we're on a main road and they're just looking for that connection to where they're living. And um, yeah. Great. So for the pickup on the farm, how does your distribution system work for that? The pickup on the farm, we used to do packed pre-packed crates, which was really adorable because we made the wooden crates and all that. (laughs) And it was really beautiful. And then when we moved to this farm in 2013, we switched to a market style pickup, which gave people um, the, the choice of, you know, what size lettuce heads they want and how many, you know, we do like up to two kale bunches sometimes and you know, anything that's in multiples, we give them the option to take as much as the sign says, or if they just are one person eating out of the share, then maybe they only want one. And so it just took a a little bit of the pressure off for those who are learning to love their vegetables or just had a smaller household that they were feeding. And so nobody felt like anything was being wasted. And then those people who could utilize that many vegetables would take that. And so they come and pick up on the farm now, we have a built-out CSA pickup area, and um, they just sign in and help themselves, and they got a table in the middle so the kids can kind of help pick out the vegetables. And, yeah, it's it's pretty nice to see everybody fly through there and just with these big old baskets of, of veggies. <laughs> I think add on to what Jess is saying is one thing about those adorable cedar crates that we'd make by hand is maybe they were a little too adorable. (laughs) And so they wouldn't always make it back to the farm. And so uh, I think at some point in time, we decided that maybe we, again, we should get back to the farming and spend less time in the wood shop, actually putting together (laughs) cedar crates. And then, so that year when we, 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 
actually made the transition in the middle of that season and we let all of our members know, hey, we're going to try something new for a week. Let's see if it's something you guys enjoy. Give us your feedback. And uh, and so we tried it out and the members absolutely loved it. So we said, hey, we're going to take all of the cedar crates and then we're going to sell them to you. You have the opportunity to mm-hmm. buy them if you want. And then so, uh, which is really fun to see because now that was a few years ago. So you can really notice all the old school members because they're really proud to bring their, you know, uh, uh, branded working hands farm crate uh, from years past, you know. (laughs) Very cool. I really like that. Tell me a little bit about the land that you're farming. Is Hillsboro flat? I mean, are you guys, are you guys farming on good farmland and marginal stuff? How's that going? That's a great question. That's a yeah. great question. The Willamette Valleys um, has some of the most amazing soil. Um, it's all that beautiful, you know, river bottom and glacial soil for the most part. And then we do on the lower kind of river bottom elevations, um, a lot of the soil in our valley looks very similar. Um, and it is just, it's exceptional. You know, we, uh, I think we're blessed. Like a walk on loam or something. Yeah. I think we're blessed on our, on our farm, especially because there's never, you know, if we were to find a stone in our farm, it's because we put it there. Yeah. Uh, There's not a a single rock unless, you know, I I took a scoop a little too deep with the tractor and, and added some, you know, gravel into that, into that compost. But, um, so our land is, is flat, but it is that kind of classic, uh, you know, um, we're right along the banks of the Tualatin river, which is, so there's a slight slope to our land, um, or pitch that sort of rolls throughout our farm. And as this is something that I've become more and more aware of, as we're getting more into tractor cultivation, um, you start to notice those little ebbs and flows of your land a little bit more. Jess, you mentioned that you guys moved the farm, um, that Brian had actually started farming two miles down the road. What prompted the move? Well, there was a few things. I felt like, you know, as we were growing the business together, because my first year with Brian was in 2012. And so we grew that year by a bunch. I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think we had been doing the year before like 50 shares. And then we had all of a sudden gone up to like 75 and to 80. And so the two of us were farming, I think around three acres there and just feeling, you know, like, uh, the lease and everything else, the pressures of, uh, I think the landlord had actually approached us and said that they were thinking about selling the land. And so, you know, we heard that a few times and, um, at some point Brian was like, well, how much would you want for it? And then it just ended up being way out of our realm of possibilities. So we're like, oh my gosh, you know, what are we going to do looking towards the future? And it was one of those funny things. And we kind of told the story on the the first podcast, but to sum it up, you know, we were selling tomatoes because we just had a bumper crop year that year. And this older guy stopped by to buy tomatoes. And um, it was just a, you know, a help yourself stand a a honor system box. And he wanted a, you know, 25 cents back or whatever it was. So he knocked on our door and he was like, do you have change? And um, asked us if we leased or owned where we were farming. And we said, we leased. And he said, well, you know, there's a place that's down the road that's just got sold on auction. And so uh, if you would be interested to go look at it. And of course, 
Brian is that type of person that just loves jumping off the edge. So he just got in the car with this guy and (laughs) he goes, I'll be right back. Don't worry. I got my phone or whatever. And so he jumps in the car and uh, Brian went and saw it and you know, yeah, it was it, for me, it was the, it was the dream property. It was two miles down the road, had the house that was ready to be torn down. Um, um I think, uh, there's a, a, a pit bull breeding operation going on. And then, so there was a number of intimidating dogs. And, uh, and then once you got past the, the barn that had fallen over and the, and the pile of trash up there, um, it opened up to, you know, uh, basically 40 acres of relatively flat land that um, that looked like it had gone uh, been fallow for a number of years. Yeah. And so uh, Gary McCord, the realtor that was buying the tomatoes, um, <laughs> basically said, hey, you know, a guy bought this for with a certified check um, for two hundred thousand uh, dollars just a couple of weeks ago because um, the property had been foreclosed on. And, uh, and he goes, you know, it's not, hasn't been listed yet, but I, uh, I, I, but I think he'd be willing to make a deal for you guys. And, uh, and so we, we jumped on that pretty fast and it was, I mean, I think it's important to mention, you know, Jess and I, uh, we leased for those first few years, but there wasn't a night that we didn't go to bed wondering how it was a month by month lease too. It wasn't a yearly. Oh my goodness. It was pretty scary. And, uh, and, it, renter. and we weren't aware of how much we should be paying for land. And so mm-hmm. we were paying a rather exorbitant month to month, uh, rent, um, for both the house on that property as well as, as the land around it. And so it was one of those situations where, I mean, we never went to sleep without thinking how, in the world, are we ever going to afford land? How are we going to make this next transition? What is it going to look like? You know, the property around us is uh, typical of gentlemen farmers. And it is, um, you know, the parcel that we were farming on before was 40 acres and uh, they were asking $650,000 for it. And it had an old house on it. And, uh, and uh, it did have a couple barns, but I mean, those kind of numbers were so astronomical for us. And so it was kind of crushing. And I think a lot of farmers feel that way where you sit there and you go, what does the future hold? How do we ever get there? And, um, and when we made an f- offer on this property, it was one of those perfect stories that it was such a fluke. And, um, you know, we ended up uh, closing the property at $320,000 for 40 acres. Um, and, uh, and that was, uh, I, I mean, it was just, it's, it's mind blowing that we were able to figure that out, especially considering we could stay inside of our same market. You know, yeah. the farm was only two miles down the road, as opposed to having to start over with new members, with a new community, uh, having to get your foot in the door. That way we were able to continue running. And we actually, um, farmed both properties at the same time that first year, uh, that first year uh, while we were transitioning and moving infrastructure. Yeah. That's hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it certainly made some late nights, uh, especially because we had to, um, 
put some pasture in the back of the property. And then, so we would do the CSA and then I would drive my, or our little 32 horsepower John Deere tractor over to this property at night down at, you know, 55 mile an hour road and uh, with a little disc on the back. And then I would disc the, I disc the back about 25 acres with a six foot disc at night. Uh, and you know, partially cause we just months. didn't know any better. But the other part of it was, is, you know, during the days we also had to, I mean, it's, it's, it's a long story, but yeah, it's, we also had to ha- get all the permits for the property before we could actually, um, uh, get the loan. And, um, and so it was, uh, yeah, it those were some long days, but, um, I look back on it. I'm not sure how we got it done, but we did. We did do it. It's at a certain pace, that's for sure. <laughs> we learned a lot too. I mean, just being a part of the process and, you know, a lot of the people down at the county office, since we were doing a lot of the permit stuff, we got to play the young farmer roles that didn't really know much about anything. So everybody wanted to help us out. And, you know, our county is pretty notorious for giving, you know, a permit for just about anything. So, you know, we definitely <laughs> tried our best. And uh, I don't know, that was actually, I look back on it, I'm like, I know we were busy, but it felt new and it felt ex- exciting. And I think that's probably what kept propelling us forward to the hold and endless possibilities and all that. Yeah, it was I'll never forget the inspector coming out as we were both standing six feet deep in the septic (laughs) and the septic test pits. And he looked at us and he goes, well, I've never seen anybody dig those by hand. (laughs) (laughs) I looked at him and I was like, you know, the excavator was, you know, 250 bucks an hour. And uh, so I figured, you know, the labor was free. So so we jumped down in the holes and and we got them dug right before he showed up or right or finished right before he showed up as they're filling back up with water. And uh, (laughs) and sure enough, he checked off on it and we went to the next permit. Yep. It's nice to be young, isn't it? It is. Get old really quick, though. I'm like, holy moly, how do we do that even, you know, years ago? I'm so glad that no one was there to set an expectation Mm. for us because I'm not sure I would have been brave brave enough, you know, to go forward. And Mm. so when it's brand new and step by step, you get these things done, (laughs) it's exciting and it's thrilling. And then you look back at it after a number of years and you go, Huh. That is, you know, I'm not sure I could do that again. Yeah. You, you look back and go, that was a lot of work. (laughs) Oh yeah. So when we talked last, which was being the fall of 2015 for, we're getting ready to do episode 40 of the farmer to farmer podcast, which you see fall of 2015. See now that even makes me feel old. Um, (laughs) And and back then, you guys, you guys were farming, you know, just four acres of vegetables. You said today you're up to eight. I wonder if you could kind of set the stage for us back there. You know, take us back in time to the to October of 2015, and and what was going on 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 Working Hands Farm? Yeah. So that first year, or let's see, was that the first year at this property, Jess? No, it's the third. It's the third year. So. We were basically at a place uh, at that point in time where we, the front part of our acreage, which is about four acres of vegetables, was uh, one half of our operation and one half of our income stream. And the other half of our operation was all in pasture for both pigs and cattle. And um, we 
our goal and our hope at that time was to be able to make about 50% of our income from vegetables and 50% of our income uh, from livestock. We always kind of say livestock was the parentheses on the end of our days. You know, it's kind of you start with them in the morning and you end with them in the evening. And unless there's some sort of emergency, you know, uh, for most of the day, they can be left on their own. And the the problem that we ran into is when we adopted the winter CSA and, and when we spoke on the podcast, that was uh, the first winter we were going to attempt a winter CSA. And and we followed through with that and it was wonderful. We loved it. We sold it to our CSA members for a steal of a deal as, you know, we we set the lowest possible expectations uh, and let them know this would be our first time doing it. And if the hardcore CSA members really wanted to try out a winner <laughs> CSA, they were welcome to do so. And and, and they loved it. And they absolutely loved it. And we loved it too. You know, I think for Jess and I transitioning into the winter and ha- having things slow down a little bit uh, is always a challenge for us. And so it was one of those things where it was nice to keep your hands in the soil and to continue being out in the field to kind of maintain a pace of normalcy. And the issue that arose out of that was in our area, most of the things that we can overwinter outside was brassicas. And then so it was your purple sprouting broccolis. It was your overwintering cauliflowers. It was was definitely all of your kales because it doesn't get so cold here that in a, a, you know, whatever a typical season is these days, but in a typical season, you wouldn't lose those crops and you could keep them uncovered outside, which is an amazing gift that, uh, that nature provides the Pacific Northwest. And so at that time, we had to make the decision, how do we go forward and expand our winter CSA and continue to grow our current CSA? Because, you know, without th- rotation, this yeah. coming year, we would have had, a, you know, a herd of, of 16 uh, Angus cows on the on the farm, as well as, a you know, we had two sows and uh, uh, having any number of piglets. Um, and it became... Uh, an issue where we're going, where are we going to put all these brassica crops? Because everything's a brassica. You know, I mean, you, we farm a lot of different things, but in the end, it always feels like if you want to rotate your crops, you're rotating away from brassicas, especially with the winter production. And so it became this kind of opposite trajectory where if we expand the cattle operation, you know, there's not that many acres on our farm to be able to do that really well and in a way that we're, we can be really proud of. And we had been able to do that up until this time. And we even have the soil test to prove it. And, and our soil with cattle on it, rotating them in a holistic way, has improved the soil immensely. And so we kind of, Jess and I kind of started looking at each other going, you know, we're going to have to make a change. And, and, you know, having those first conversations about actually selling our livestock and go becoming a hundred percent vegetable farmers, or for the most part, vegetable farmers, was a really big question, both for identity as well as financially. Also, too, just the ability to leave the farm and and have those outside connections with family, because I felt like you know when we first started the farm, it was kind of like all right. Let's get to year three and see how we feel. You know, let's see if we're mm-hmm. turning a profit and, 
you know, we're just the two of us doing all this stuff. And then when we, you know, I think that first year we're farming together, we're getting real skinny and which led us down the road of, you know, how do we afford sustainable meat or meat that we would like to buy at the store, which just didn't exist at that time, I felt like. And so when we dove down the the raising of livestock, that the 50 percent, that was just kind of like, OK, you know, if we could make that work, that would make sense. But you know, at some point we realized the more animals we had, the less that was coming to fruition. Like we were just losing more money on the animals. Um, and then we were also just not having as much balance as we had hoped we would have. Cause you know, with animals, you really can't leave and there's less and less people who know how to take care of animals that could stay and watch the animals. So you could, you know, my family lives in the East coast, you know, like <laughs> you, in order to go there, you have to have somebody who's able to watch the farm. And so that was just never um, a possibility as, as the animal, as the herds grew. And um, yeah. It, yeah, it was kind of like an opposite tra trajectory for us as well. I mean, the, the cash flow of raising livestock versus the cash flow of CSA, you have two entirely different businesses. Mm -hmm. You know, with livestock, you're putting that money into grain for feeding the animals. You're putting it into hay um, uh, or grain for the pigs and then uh, hay for the for the cows to get them through the winter. And these are all investments that you're making up front and you're hoping to recoup the costs at the end of the season which to a CSA farmer is terrifying because we've chosen actively to do the opposite, to get our money up front at the beginning of the season. So we could have the, so we can make a budget and have the projections that give us the cash flow to get through, you know, uh, to the end of the year until, you know, the first of January again. And, and managing those two things is, is extremely complex, especially when you're watching the vegetable, the CSA portion of the farm Grow. growing so quickly and the money that can be made off of a, and then this is of course, in comparison to raising livestock. So it's not, you know, yeah. it's certainly no gold mine, but <laughs> it's uh, you know, the money that can be made on an acre of vegetables versus an acre of pasture for cows is incomparable. I mean, it's it's one of those things that it was becoming more apparent to us that raising livestock was a passion. Uh, it was maybe more of a hobby. It was something that is that we absolutely loved, you know, having that connection uh, with nature and the land. And it was something that we were very proud to offer our community because in our area, that's something that is not widely available. And so. Uh, uh, to answer your question, I guess, in a fairly long winded way is, is that transition started to take place for all those reasons. Yeah. Does that make sense? That totally makes sense. And, and I remember on my farm, we went through a similar process of winnowing enterprises as the farm grew. We simply had less, for us, it was less an issue of space because of the kinds of landscapes that we were mm. raising the, the livestock on. We had a lot of hillsides, but we had that same situation. We had the situation in terms of our time and management attention was that an hour that we put into the chickens was yielding a lot less than an hour that we were putting into the vegetables. Absolutely. So you guys started to make this change. Have you completely gotten rid of the livestock on your farm? 
Well, I, I don't know if we'd say gotten rid of, but definitely we, we like to say that we transitioned him to another farm. And uh, thankfully, we actually sold all of our livestock to one farm. Um, that's a it's uh, all put together. It's like a thirteen hundred and fifty acre farm in Washington. And um, so it's some beautiful land. And uh, there's a, a great guy up there, Alex Murray from uh, Cascade Farm that um, bought all of our critters. And, uh, and so we got to see him and it's really fun to be able to follow them on Instagram and, uh, and see, you know, uh, I still call them our calves, although they're his calves, uh, <laughs> kind of going forward. But yeah, we still have some, uh, egg layers on the farm and, um, and a few goats that we kind of consider our CSA greeters, but, um, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Enough, enough livestock to make it look like a farm to people who don't farm. Exactly. <laughs> I know. It's so funny. It's like, you're not. And not a farmer unless you have animals, I think. <laughs> it's nice. You know, and it, it, to be honest, it's it's kind of changed how we look at our CSA members as well, because it's hard to have that much going on with the livestock and the vegetables and on the farm without also viewing it in a sense of liability. You know, I mean, there's a lot of volts going through some of those fences and, uh, and when you get a lot of young children out running around and you, you know, we kept a bull, a beautiful British white bull on our farm as well. Um, it's hard to relax during CSA day when everybody comes out to see the farm. Cause you're kind of going, you know, it's hard enough to keep the kids out from underneath the mowers, you know? And so it's, uh, it's fun at this point in time, having made that transition where with CSA members on the farm, there's, you know, I feel as though that we can be that much more relaxed and that much more open, letting them, you know, roam the farm in, in a way where they also can feel comfortable because they, you know, don't have to wonder whether they can touch a fence or not. Right. That's a big deal. <laughs> it, it, it is it's a it, really big deal. All those little things really add up. You don't realize it until you just don't have to do that anymore. But it, it is, it's a whole different ball game, uh, raising animals versus, you know, uh, planting plants and whatnot. <laughs> so oh. well, especially when you have, you know, 300, you know, uh, we're up to, you know, 150, 160 households now for our CSA. But each one of those households is is typically comprised of more than one Two to person. Five. Yeah, people. So that means on a CSA down on the on the farm, you know, if you have three to four hundred people walking around a property and uh, and a bull that's in the mood, you know, it's um, that makes you nervous, <laughs> you know, or at least it made me nervous. And uh, and then so it's one of those things where being able to focus in on the vegetables and and the CSA also you know relaxes us. Because, or how would I say that? It, we feel so much more focused, you know, everywhere from our cash flow projections all the way to uh, when we're meeting and greeting CSA members for the first time. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think there was a time where we had to go into self preservation mode because it was just Jess and Brian for so many years working seven days a week, you know, 15 hours a day. And at some point in time, I think there could not be any flexibility for us as farmers. And I think that's something that is important for the community. And I'm so thankful that through that time period, I don't know if Jess feels the same way, but it, having that flexibility now is incredible to kind of, you know, if if something doesn't work out perfectly with uh, with 
this uh, CSA, you can kind of relax and go, oh, you know, it's it's no big uh, big deal. You know, we can uh, kind of, um, I, I don't know how to say that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, just being a little bit more flexible and, you know, understanding of situations that come up. Uh, I don't know how to say that yeah, really. It's be more accommodating. I don't know. Does that make sense to you, Chris? It does. I think it's a lot easier. I mean, for other people and for yourselves to be more accommodating when you're dealing with less complexity, because, mm-hmm. you know, in some ways it feels like, you know, well, wow, if I'm, if I'm juggling 40 different balls and I drop one, no big deal. Right. But if you're juggling 40 different balls and you drop one, you've still got 39 balls in the air yeah. that you have to keep in the air while you try to pick up that one. And that's <laughs> almost impossible. Yes. Whereas if, you know, if you've got just a, if you're, if you're juggling three balls and you drop one, well, you just, you pick it up and, and you go on. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just been really nice to focus, you know, on the vegetables. And I think with the winter CSA being successful, I mean, since we last talked every year, like uh, the growth of the CSA has gone up 40% the last three years each year. So we've actually you know, and I'm sure that'll taper off here at some point, but it is, I mean, if you've paying attention, that's, you know, after the last couple of years, like, wow, really like the vegetables are the thing, you know, that we are just, you know, people are really passionate about their vegetables and we love growing vegetables and our soil is just like we mentioned before, it couldn't be better. And it's something we've really focused on the the last few years too, is just, you know, the inputs in the soil. And then with being able to, you know, uh, seeing the herd off to another place, you know, uh, using that capital to reinvest back into the vegetable production side of things. So, and that's been, and that's also been huge. So, I mean, kind of lessons learned from, uh, from having raised livestock is one is that Doing both, raising you know a variety of different livestock as well as doing the CSA has has forced Jess and I to become really efficient mm-hmm. and to really be able when it's time to harvest, it's time to harvest. When it's time to plant, it's time to plant. When it's time to cultivate, you get out there and do it, and you make sure all of your equipment is ready to go when you need it. Mm-hmm. And now having transitioned uh, out of livestock, I feel like we're loaded springs, so we we're able to take the the capital out of the livestock and reinvest it into vegetable production equipment, which has made a huge yeah, difference for us. Huge. And so it is one of those, another one of those things where you kind of go like, not only do we have the time back that we're uh, committing into li- raising livestock, we also have the capital back from some of those investments um, in order to invest in technology. Um, you know, we put up a new pole building on the farm, we um, uh, invested in a number of pieces of cultivation equipment and man, good cultivation equipment. The happiness is found in, in, in thorough cultivation. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> but um, yeah. Let's get a little bit more specific about that because an, an acre, when you take an acre out of pasture, that's a, I mean, on a, on a relative basis, an acre of pasture is, is low labor, yeah. whereas an acre of vegetables is high labor. And so now you're taking land out of pasture, putting it into vegetables. What kinds of things have you done to, to be able to continue operating as a, well, I guess I should ask, is it still just you and Jess? <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we are thankful. We, we hired our first employee this year, Chris. Yes, we have a, our first part-time employee. She works 20 hours a week right now, which has been awesome having 
a third person on the farm. Um, we've gotten a little bit, we finally got a, a new tractor. So making that investment, um, we got a John Deere. Brian probably will talk about that, but um, with a creeper, with a water wheel transplanter on the back. So having that, you know, second person on the back, um, we can just fly through planting and things have become a lot. It's, you know, it's funny. It just forces you to be there 7 a.m., be ready, be prepared. And it just forces you to kind of get it done because somebody else is there waiting to get it done with you. And it's really like, it's really motivating. I feel like having a third perspective on the farm and then also somebody who's just, you know, here to work, you know, like, uh, and, and do the best that they can. So it's, it's nice. It's a nice energy to feed off of. And since it has just been the two of us the last, I don't know, six years or something like that. It's, it's just cool to change up the dynamic a little bit. And that's a 50% increase in productivity once they get up to speed. Yeah. You know? It's like, right. you, know, you, go, you know, half of two is one. So that's great. And so that's made a, that's made a huge difference uh, for us this year. And, and like Jess is saying, not even just because it's another warm body to get stuff done on the farm, but it's forced us to create new systems. It's mm-hmm. forced us to, um, to not, you know, we'll have that tendency to go out and work, you know, that first 10 hour day, get, you know, uh, take a little rest. And then if the sun's still up, go out and work another five or six hours. And then now if you have somebody that's going to be ready to go in the morning, you Mm -hmm. have to take the time. And if you're going to get the investment back that you put into them, you know, you, we're, we're learning to create those procedures in the evening. So we're ready to go uh, the next morning. And that's all brand new lessons that we're, we're learning now. Um, that's, uh, that's fun. It's exciting to learn those new things. I think one of the things interesting about what we do for employees, oftentimes making things work for them actually makes it easier for us. You know, like you just talked about, if you, if you take the time the night before to figure out what and how you're going to do it the next day, exactly, then you hit the ground running in the morning rather than having to spend that time figuring it out, even if it's just you and Jess. Absolutely. Yeah. And you're getting that seven hours of sleep instead of the five hours of sleep you would have because <laughs> it got windy after you got done weeding uh, at 10 o'clock at night. So you had to put all the remay back down, you know, <laughs> it's like, and so you're staring at each other at 1130 going like, you know, this has got to change. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and that's interesting because when, when we talked 18 months ago, I think you guys were both very much in the, Hey, we work 15 hours a day. We love each other and it's great. Yeah. You know, and I'm hearing that maybe some of that shifted for you. I'm not the love each other part, but the, but the, the, Hey, the 15 hour, you know, we're, we work all the time and that's okay. Yeah. I feel like we're still working. Well, right now we are 15 hours, but it feels different. Like Brian and I keep coming back to this this year as a year where it really feels like a shift is happening where we're really present and just a lot of the anxieties that we used to have, you know, going into each season or even like, you know, new problems arising, all this stuff, even when stuff doesn't go completely right, I feel like the anxiety isn't there as much now. And so it feels really freeing. And I think both of us could probably say we feel the best we've ever felt farming this year. Like, yeah. yeah. 
I think so. And, and part of, I think what Jess and I have had discussed in that transition was also really missing, uh, after doing this for eight years, um, the connection with our family and friends. Yeah. And I think there came to a time for us where, you know, spending time with family is becoming more and more important to us all the time. And, and I think out of self-preservation for getting the business up to speed and making sure that we could provide our, for ourselves and, and contribute in a meaningful way, it took us learning to say no for a lot of years in order to just focus in on the farm and, and get this business running and just being committed and being a hundred percent committed to it. Mm-hmm. And I think a, a point in we've now entered the time where we kind of uh, keep saying we're relearning how to say yes. Yeah. And, and the best example of that was opening night um, uh, for the Timbers. Uh, I went and saw my first professional soccer game uh, in Portland. Uh, and it was a CSA member who's also a long time CSA member who's also been a friend called me uh, one evening and said, Hey, you know, my son doesn't want to go to the soccer game with me. Do you want to come? And I looked at Jess and I was like, well, I think I can actually go. I was like, do it. There's no animal chores this (laughs) evening. I don't have to rotate. I don't have to, I think. And Jess looked at me and she, she goes, say yes. And I was like, (laughs) well, yes. And then he came and picked me up and I watched, it was beautiful. We won. There was like five or six goals scored. Uh, It was, it was wonderful. And I, I haven't done that in years, yeah, you know, so, um, so we are still, uh, working a lot of long hours. We're working smarter too. Like, uh, there's just so many efficiencies from the last time we talked with you that it's like hard to know where to really start with that stuff. But I mean, even just having the same size beds with a flat bed shop shaper and uniform spacing and, tractors that all match and like <laughs> finger weeding implements and all this stuff where we're like, yeah, we're working a similar amount of hours, but we're not doing the laborious hand weeding of carrots. Cause we forgot to flame or like, yeah. so I'm, I'm actually, I'm going to, I'm going to interrupt. And I, I just want to say, so let's just start with the basics. I mean, you, you said, um, you said, tractors and bed setup and having all of those things working together. So can you tell me how they weren't working together two years ago and how they are working together now Yeah, and what changed? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So we, uh, our first Tractor. seven seasons on this farm, we had a 32 horsepower John Deere, um, 3320. And it, with like 16.9 inch wide tires on the back. And we still have it. It's a great little tractor. We still, we love our little <laughs> tractor, a little subcompact. And it's done wonders. I mean, that thing's really a, a workhorse. And, uh, but it didn't allow for um, any of the cultivation, the uh, water wheel transplanting that we needed to get to in order to expand our acreage. And so... Um, I guess I should say for a few years as well as we had um, a little G tractor to help with cultivation uh, as well. And for us, and, and a lot of this is so new and, and thank, thank goodness for Instagram because we're able to reach out to so many farmers who've really, you know, sh- both introduced us to new technologies, but gave us a, an opportunity to ask questions and see if things were worth the investment and, and how to get them set up. And so we ended up, 
buying a, um, a uh, John Deere um, 5075E last uh, year, last year with, uh, no creeper. with the promise that it, we bought it with the promise that it would have a creeper gear so we could use a water wheel transplanter. And uh, John Deere ended up not putting out a creeper gear for that tractor. So we um, ended up with a very fancy bed row marker. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> and then we'd hand transplant into the water wheel yeah. mark slash. So yeah. we used the water wheel as a dibbler and then we bought a little stand-in plant, which is a beautiful little hand <laughs> uh, planter. And then we planted yeah. all our acreage by hand last year. Yeah, that was that was and so we really learned what we didn't want from that <laughs> 75e and because we were smart and waited to sign the contract for it, we ended up sending the 75e back and ordering a 5085M um, series tractor, which for John Deere at that horsepower, you start to get tire width options. Mm -hmm. Um, and as well as uh, option to come with a creeper gear that was, uh, factory installed and that started opening up doors. So we ended up with a 48 inch bed top, which for us seems to be a really good fit. Um, with, uh, I think it's somewhere around 75 inches, uh, from outside to outside in our tires, um, mm -hmm. and then, so we took an old rototiller and built a bed shaper, um, to go along with that. And we also made the investment of buying a Colt Crest finger weeder, which is a mind, total game changer, mind blowing piece yeah. of equipment <laughs> that every farmer should have, uh, to meet their scale. And okay. So I hate the word game changer. I know you, <laughs> I, okay. Put it this way, Chris, uh, and I know um, it, it's. I know that I'm. I hold. I also do, and I hate silver bullets, and I hate all of these things yeah. that are based in mythology. Um, <laughs> this is this was our experience for it. Is when it came, we uh, got it set up, and it was a pain in the butt to set up um, to get it dialed in just right, and. But it didn't I, come with instructions. Yeah. <laughs> of course, I, farm equipment rarely does. No. It's got uh, a lot of pieces on there. <laughs> and, they, and they rarely come with a receipt. It's a, Yeah, there's some <laughs> frustrations with equipment there for sure. And, and this is not an exception to that. Yeah. Um, but when it did came, we got it set up and we, it was actually, we had this weird, like six or seven days of dry weather this winter, which this was the wettest winter in 75 years in Oregon. So that's another conversation piece. Um, <laughs> but so we got it set up and I was like, Hey Jess, I know it's the sun's about to go down, but I'm so excited about this new toy. Can we just take it for a spin through the garlic and see what happens? Yeah. And the first bed was a little bit frustrating and, you know, it took us, you know, Trying to figure uh, out the depth and all that. Yeah. And it's in cultivation is a little bit new to us on a, on a tractor scale and, you know, making sure everything's working properly and safe and we're not killing, you know, murdering our entire garlic crop. <laughs> and so the first couple hundred feet, you know, maybe took us, you know, I don't know, 15 or 20 minutes, which for us was the fastest we've ever cultivated any piece of ground. And it was cultivating in between in row as well as all of the, uh, the pathways and then all, as well as all the parallels. And so it was kind of weeding everything. And so we felt like we had it set up pretty well. And we said, you know, let's, let's try it. Let's throw it in, in B and, and see what happens. And we cultivated in that evening, having never used this piece of equipment, we cultivated all of our garlic and we started doing 
uh, basically a couple hundred feet in about 40 seconds. And all it was cultivating all of the weeds. It was getting everything out. I ended that, you know, when I, when we stopped, I got off and kind of bounced up and down and shook my hands a couple of times kind of thing. And what the hell just happened? You know, I mean, what's going on and why hasn't anybody made me buy one of these before? <laughs> so we've continued using that piece of equipment and we've continued to get it dial in. And there's definitely been, you know, some yeah, frustrations and, and some, it hasn't uh, some been issues. Perfect, but when, when the bed roller came in and then the, the tires got widened out a little bit, all of a sudden you just have, you know, you're kind of becoming more one with the machine. And I feel like Brian and I have just, you know, there were some frustrating times, like with all new things, but, um, we just stuck with it and we were like, you know what, there's been a few people that we chatted with on the East coast. that got one of these things and they said, honestly, like it just changed how they did everything on the farm. And I, and I see that on our farm. Chris and Jesse from Camparoso and Max from Morningstar farm, uh, back East. I mean, they both had one before us and, and we're really open and transparent and, yep. and gave us pointers in, in, in what they thought about them. And they had the same experience. I mean, Max, I think used a few explicatives more than I have just used. Um, and was like, I, I've got no idea. It's a, it's a total game changer for him as well. And, uh, and so I know, I know you don't like those terms, but it, for Jess and I, we have done very little hand weeding this year. And especially in such a wet spring, which yeah. creates so many challenges for pieces of cultivation. And there's times that we use the finger weeder uh, when I didn't feel like it was worth putting a hoe in the ground because it was too wet. So I wouldn't have hand hoed, but I felt comfortable using the finger weeder. Let's talk about this piece of equipment because just kind of lay it out for me. Is that you're, you're talking about running this behind your John Deere tractor. So it's a three point mount cultivating tool. Yeah, and I hope the guys at Coltcrest are probably going to hate me for what I'm about to do to their piece of equipment, but <laughs> it's, um, so we ordered a three row version. Um, and then, so it has on it, I think it must be, um, four parallel. Oh, I think they call them parallelograms. And on each parallelogram is either a set of, of side sweeps or, uh, or side knives or beat knives, whatever people call them. Um, or you can interchange that with sweeps. All of those sweeps do the pathways. Um, and then also the parallels. So like, yeah, in not in plant. between the horizontal of the plant, but down row and the parallels and each one of those parallelograms have their own gauge wheel. And mm -hmm. so they are running independent of each other. So on a farm like ours, that has some really gentle slopes going one direction or the other. Mm -hmm. One struggle I had with the G was to keep all the sweeps in the ground at the same time without the other half of the sweeps diving in too deep. That was my big struggle um, with that piece of equipment. And with this, each parallelogram on the three point behind the John Deere is controlled uh, or is uh, it can can follow the ground with those gauge wheels and keep contact. The other part of it has three sets of, of two finger weeders each. So a total of six finger weeders because we had a three row in each one of those finger weeders licks out the weeds with these malleable plastic fingers um, in order right to, to wrap around 
each individual plant and disturb the weeds that are in the thread stage in row uh, all the way down. And it has these hard metal spikes on the other side of those finger weeders that are there's fewer metal spikes than there are fingers. And so it drives it as uh, just like a chain on a bicycle. Um, so it actually rotates the fingers faster than you're, you're driving. Mm-hmm. Each one of those are set on a spring so and they don't need a gauge wheel because they act as their own gauge wheel. And so each one of those also keeps maintains contact with the ground um, uh, uh, through that uh, being spring loaded. The other addition to it is that there's a rider on the back of it mm-hmm. that has a small steering wheel and you leave your your um, your chains loose. And so you can they can drive back and forth with it up to maybe six inches on each side. So the tractor operator doesn't have to pay close attention to what's happening to their cultivation device or, you know, put a crook in their neck because they're looking backwards all the time because they have a rider actually riding this machine um, uh, through the down row uh, as they make their way down the row. Mm -hmm. And the faster you go, the better it seems to work. Yes. And having that rider on the back then really does let you go fast because they can be focusing on the precision and really kind of like having somebody kind of like having it belly mounted on a Jeep. They're able to really see what's going on. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and I would say, you know, there are some things that it it should be coupled with is one is we took an old rototiller and Mm -hmm. and built a bed shaper out of it and then put a heavy steel um, uh, wheel on the back in order to make perfectly flat 48 Mm -hmm. inch bed tops, which means when you go through to transplant, you can transplant things. So there are, you know, as Level. accurate as possible. So the depth is controlled as well as, you know, the, that random plant that ends up two inches on the inside of the other ones, it doesn't end up getting cultivated out. So having things as consistent as possible has been big and has been a challenge for us. It always seems because we have these just slight hills that, um, the back tires of the tractor swing in one way or the other. Um, but of course the rider on the back of the finger weeder can, uh, can deal with that. Yeah. And we've also, because of all of this equipment, I feel like it's, uh, forced us to go into 200 foot rows. So we were doing a hundred foot rows when we were talking to you a couple of years ago. And, uh, the 200 foot rows are awesome, especially when you're using the finger weeder. All of a sudden you're thinking, well, oh, should we go longer rows? Because it, it is fun and it, you know, like <laughs> goes really fast and you can get a lot weeded when you have longer rows. And so, <laughs> it's, it's, so our farm's really funny right now. And uh, yeah, we have like the, two farms the, right now. The front of our farm is like a, a very small scale um, four acre farm, like we had before. Pathways and hundred foot beds, and it's very, very, it's more of a garden. It's very beautiful. And, and I, I love it because the soil texture is amazing. And then the improvements that we've made are, are, um, really worthwhile. And then, so I love it. And then where the pasture was, and we started, uh, reclaiming for vegetable production is these long, beautiful, consistently straight rows Mm -hmm. of vegetables that are typical for, you know, like a, um, you know, whatever's between small and medium scale organic vegetable farm. And so it is fun to see these two differences and we'll have to um, find out uh, some solutions uh, to make things more consistent going forward. But with some of these new investments, um, 
it's it's made a big difference for us as far as equipment goes. With that, we need to stop, take a break, get a quick word from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with Jess and Brian Powers from Working Hands Farm in Hillsboro, Oregon. Perennial support for the Farmer to Farmer podcast is brought to you by Vermont Compost Company, makers of Fort B and Fort Light potting mixes. Here we are, crashing into June's craziness on farms throughout North America. Greenhouses are heating up, the weeds in the field are popping, and the harvest is starting to get underway in a big, big way. It's that time of year when everything needs to work right. So what if you didn't have to worry about weak transplants and poor germination, meaning that you've got less plants than you thought you were going to have due to less than great potting soil? What if you didn't have to worry about getting truly finished compost for your homemade blend? What if you didn't have to worry about making a homemade blend right now? What if you didn't have to worry about making sure that your employees remember to add the fertilizer charge? That happened to me once. What if you could grow plants up until the roots filled the container without having to worry about supplying extra fertility? What if your potting soil had your back year after year after year after year? That's what Vermont Compost Potting Soil can bring to you. Makers of living media for organic growers since 1992. 1992. VermontCompost.com. The podcast is also brought to you by Storic Holds Coolbot. Way back in 2000, the year I started Rock Spring Farm, the manager of the local food co-op complained that the lettuce from local producers lasted for days in her cooler, while the lettuce from California lasted for weeks. So, in this local food movement, what's all that about 2,000 miles fresher? I later found out that none of the local growers had a walk-in cooler. 17 years later, this is still the number one complaint I hear from produce buyers. You have got to get your produce cold. The difference between then and now is that now there's CoolBot. You can build an affordable walk-in cooler powered by a CoolBot and a window air conditioning unit, saving up to 83% in upfront costs and up to 42% on monthly electricity bills compared to conventional cooling units. Use the code FTF at checkout to double your CoolBot warranty at no charge. Storeitcold.com. And we're back with Jess and Brian Powers from Working Hands Farm in Hillsboro, Oregon. Before we went on break, we were talking about about equipment and and I mean this. I mean I'm looking at this cult cultivator and I'm hearing you guys talk about this new tractor and I'm going this probably wasn't cheap. <laughs> nope, <laughs> it wasn't. Well, you know, with the transition, um, you know, we really, really kind of were thinking, okay, if this fifty seventy five E isn't going to work out for us, you know, we're going to have to go up in tractor size and what does that mean? And, you know, like how much do we really want to commit to what we were doing? Cause at, at that point in time we had built, you know, the pole barn up front so we could have winter storage CSA pickup and a big cooler all in the same area. So like all of a sudden that efficiencies over this past winter, we really kind of doubled down on um, the farm that we wanted to be. <laughs> and, um, the finance side of it, I think oh, a lot of that came from the the invest or the capital from the cows. And then also too, Brian will probably touch on this, but taking the able to take a little bit more risk now that we're in year eight or whatever, season eight, and um, be feeling okay about taking on debt like that or having the business take on debt. That's been huge for yeah. for us is I think we're both terrified of debt and have been um, throughout this process. And I think that fear 
has been founded in some cases and not and unfounded in others. And I, I believe, you know, after having so many years of meeting uh, financial goals for our farm and mm-hmm. having sound financial projections that we feel like are accurate, at some point you have to believe in yourselves and believe that the proof really is in the pudding. And, and if the projections are working, then there's nothing to say they shouldn't work going forward into the next year. Mm-hmm. And that kind of, for us, has taken a real leap of faith. And then so for uh, the new tractor, uh, we took advantage, John Deere in our area and probably all over the place does zero percent financing for 60 60 months. months. Yeah. So that uh, 5085M, you know, roughly costs us a thousand bucks a month. Um, And since we do have good financial projections, we can fit that into our cash flow and decide whether that is an investment we can make or not. Mm -hmm. Because now that, you know, with the pool building. Now, the next question, it's kind of a chicken or the egg question is like, now you actually have to fill it up with customers and produce, right? So what (laughs) kind of equipment do you need in order to fill it up? And then so it was, uh, you know, the sale of the animals, like Jess said, you know, definitely gave us a huge boost. But it's not just the animals. It's also starting to liquidate some of those assets like the cattle shoots, the cattle panels, the fencing, the waterers, the, you know, the multitude of things that go along with raising cattle. So, you know, there's cattle mm-hmm. trailers. There's a lot of equipment that goes into a livestock operation. Um, and thankfully, you know, those things hold their value well. And mm-hmm. we were able to liquidate those things uh, with relative ease, you know, within a, a three or four month period. Yeah. But taking on the debt too is, I think after you get to a certain point in the business, you know, where you're doing it for, you know, going into your eighth season, you know, it, it feels different. It feels, it's not as scary as when you're in year three or whatever, when things just, you know, either sink or swim. (laughs) And now it just feels like we're, we're steady. The business is growing by 40% every year. Like, you know, there's customers out there that that keep coming back. You know, this year, out of all the other years, we had 70% uh, return rate from all of our customers. So that means like way less time, um, you know, educating people on how the CSA works. You know, all of a sudden you have 70% of the people who have been coming for the last two to six years um, are coming back. And so, you know, it just creates a, a different vibe on the fa- on the farm I think I think you keep hearing us say that you know like uh, for eight seasons for eight seasons doing this I think part of that is because it's out of uh, disbelief you know we're, we're <laughs> yeah, kind of true. going you know we Has took, it, been, really? it feels like it's we've taken on so many new risks mm-hmm. this year but it feels better than it has ever felt. You know, our bodies feel better than they've ever felt. We have more confidence uh, in in our community and and their willingness to support our farm than we've ever felt. It's it's been a really break, quality of life. Yeah, it's been a breakout year for us, and uh, and that's that's really exciting. And I feel like our members every year just get better and more dedicated. And this is one little thing that. I think is important to mention is, is Jess and I for all of these years have always attended all of our CSA pickups. 
it's something that we both felt was really important to engage with our community and to be there in person. Even after a really long harvest day, you know, <laughs> for three or four hours, three days a week, right in a row, we'd go up there. And in August day, it's not always too easy to keep your eyes open, you know, for the, <laughs> for the three hour pickup period well, at the end of a long day. And, and last year was the first year, like when that tractor creeper gear and all that stuff didn't come through, it was like, you know, all of a sudden the herd was 12 cows big and we were rotating cows and, you know, we were had less uh, time to manage to, to be able to do that. You know, we'd go up every once in a while, but we were like, well, we're really going to put it to the test and see, you know, like if the community is is here for the veggies and, and, and all that. And we just ended up having a, a better return rate this year. And like Brian was saying, do you want to, uh, it's just incredible. I mean, it was, it was amazing because the attitude of our community started to change a little bit. And it was instead of Brian and Jess are here, every CSA pickup, you know, they can hold our carrot tops for us. It was the attitude of when they got to see us, it was excitement. It was thrilling. It was something that was more rare these days. So people wanted to, you know, engage in a really amazing level and, uh, and also, you know, give us, uh, the feedback about, uh, our product that we're putting out and they're taking home. Uh, uh, and, and it was really a, an exciting change for us. And as a result, like Justice said, we had the highest percentage, uh, of return members that we've ever had. And we've been slowly creeping up to that 70% mark. And I think we can improve upon that. And part of it is knowing that maybe Jess and I don't have to be the, uh, the center of attention. Maybe mm-hmm. it can be the produce, the farm, the engagement with the community, the some of these other aspects, and we can step back and respect the life that the farm has become. You know, the the entity, the uh, as its own part of the community. Michael Gerber in the E Myth he talks about that whole idea of of you know for small businesses a lot of times it is it's all about. It's all about the farmer. It's all about the guy who's making the sandwiches, who owns the business, got the passion and everything else. And at some point for the business to be sustainable, ideally you move beyond that and you move to a point where it is, it's a working hands farm, not Jess and Brian Powers. (laughs) Thank goodness. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's a much better name. Yeah, no, that's, but nobody ever really tells you that because, you know, then, you know, if things are going well, like with with our business every year, it got a little bit better, you know, people would say, you know, well, that's the recipe. Don't change it. You know, our family would be a little more hesitant to change anything because it was going well. And, and for Brian and I, it was like, well, you know, like in order, like you said, to make this sustainable, we really need to, to manage our time a little bit differently. And and what does the farm look like when we do that? If we do want to just keep it the two of us or with a part-time employee or whatever it is. Um, I think we're figuring that out. And I don't know that we were really great, you know, the best farmers and people and community members that we could be when we were up there and we were just that exhausted. Yeah. I think we probably look a little bit pitiful (laughs) and people aren't asking us to martyr ourselves. You know, people are asking us to grow really beautiful, high quality produce so that both we and they can be more productive members of society. You know, that's what they're asking. They're not asking our, uh, you to kill yourself in order to, you know, throw some cucumbers on a, on a plate at the end of the day. Right. And I would actually say, yeah, they're, they're not asking you to martyr yourself. That's, that's, 
I don't, I actually have always thought from a marketing perspective and, and I always felt maybe on my farm that we even went too far in, in this direction was that you, you, people don't want to hear about how hard it is. They, they want to see the, you know, they want to see things as sort of this idealistic idea of a farm, but that is, I mean, I think finding that balance, but certainly showing up to CSA distributions exhausted and dirty is not going to be, um, not going to be the way to present your farm as being a really successful operation. No, no, I don't think that makes people feel better. And I think, I think you're right. I think you have to have an appropriate amount of honesty and just like any aspect of your life in any relationship, you know, there's an appropriate uh, place to share things and time to share things. And I think through social media, we've been able to hopefully convey some of the hardships and the things that we've struggled with in an appropriate way that allows people to value the product. Cause there's a lot of, of mystery and fog and smoke around farms and, and, uh, and kind of consumerism and some of these other things. And so to, for, to expect a customer to understand the intricacies of, of this world is probably, um, too much of an expectation until the farmer invites them into that in an appropriate way. Does that, does that, do you, does that make sense? I think that makes a hundred percent sense. That's, I think that's right on. It's a balance. So, so tell me about, I mean, you talked about, we've talked about machinery. We've talked a little bit about, about debt and financing. We've talked about some of the changes that you made in terms of, in terms of how you're dealing with your customers. Just, you said something uh, before the break that was really interesting to me about how you were missing flame weedings. And, and I'm curious, you know, as you guys have gone through this expansion, this, this pretty dramatic growth over the last 18 months, what have you done to kind of buttress the the systems of operation on the farm that, that don't necessarily have to do with the machinery or the customers? Well, it's been really interesting, especially this past winter. I feel like um, we had all the snow, all the crazy weather. We also had the wettest winter in 75 years, like Brian mentioned. So, you know, we got all this fancy new equipment, but here we are saying to ourselves, oh, great, you know, there's more rain coming. It's the wettest we've ever seen the farm. And how do we, you know, we almost went back to, you know, we were using uh, six millimeter tarps to cover soil, like we would prep soil and cover it so that we were able to have any soil early (laughs) for, you know, our CSA started three weeks ago. And so we were sitting there in March being like, Oh my gosh, this is when we usually plant stuff, you know, and we had all these plans laid out, you know, the best laid plans or whatever they say. And, uh, we end up having to be really, um, just hone in on, uh, figuring out systems, like literally moving water off the tarps, just physically moving water. So it wasn't going into the soil and, um, having areas where we could, prepare carrots because for the past three seasons, our carrots have just been so weedy, no matter how much flame weeding we were doing. And so really we sat down this winter and we're like, okay, let's look at these main crops that, you know, people always want the CSA. There's onions, there's carrots, there's sweet potato, there's regular potatoes, all this stuff. And set a goal as to how many weeks of CSA do we want to have those things in the share? And what do we need to do to get those things uh, in those shares. And so with this wet spring, it was just a matter of, you know, 
honing down and we really wanted to have good carrots this spring. It was like a super goal of ours. And so we tilled, we did the tarps, we uncovered, we flamed again, (laughs) we heated. And then um, before the carrots came up and germinated, the beets came up and we were like, all right, it's time to flame the carrots again. And uh, we're just been really purposeful with, you know, it's not about just get the seeds in the ground. They'll come up and, and we'll just triage it later. It's, it's being really just, um, what's the word? Uh, determined. Dedicated. Yeah. Just diligent about, uh, following through on things, you know, before it'd be like, well, we'll just seed a couple extra beds of that just in case, you know, a couple get taken down by the weeds or something like that. And that, that used to be more of a triage thing that we would do a couple years ago, whereas now it feels really purposeful. Like let's only seed what we know that we can take really good care of. And, um, and now we have the time to do it as well. I know. And it's, so it's, and then that was interesting introducing an employee into our farm this season. And when they kind of came to us, we kind of said, you know, like, Hey, this is basically a whole new farm from where we were last season mm-hmm. and new technology, uh, a kind of in some regards, new land, you know, uh, turning over pasture and new bed shapes, new bed sizes, new widths, everything and then a new packing house. And so it was, you know, we're in the middle of developing a lot of those systems now um, again. And, and so part of it is, is learning to think on your feet. But also we have the time to do that thinking now. And we didn't when we had livestock in the same way. It was just the two of us. I felt like it was a lot of like, just get it done type of attitude. Whereas now if I'm double handling something twice and I only need to be handling it once, you know, I'll look at Brian and be like, hey, you know, what do you think about, you know, instead of doing that, we could do this. And then, you know, from there, it just kind of has snowballed all season long. I feel like we've just been kind of uh, getting stuff done way more efficiently just by paying attention to the little things. And I mean, having a pack shed cooler and a CSA pickup area on the same building with concrete floors, which we've never experienced and wheels, before. Chris. Wheels, like wheels. parts, like so many wheels, less we- picking up, like less moving stuff. We went through the like- Uline catalog and we ordered everything that had wheels. <laughs> Not and really, now, but yeah, no, <laughs> we but, were pretty excited about wheels and like literally just wheeling stuff from the cooler into the CSA area. And it's all in the same building, which we've never experienced before. And every time I push these carts that we have in our building, I think of you, Chris, <laughs> I think of how important wheels are to you. And I think he's right. The greatest invention to serve, you know, yeah. humankind, <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> and I'm honored. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) I push them across the farm and I just think this is amazing. I used to carry all, you know, you know, a few thousand pounds of vegetables every week from one end of the farm to the other. And now I just push this cart with wheels. Because it's like that farmer to farmer where they're talking about just being a materials handler. It really is. And so, like, if you can just figure out better ways to even move like a... This winter, we got an electric gator as well. So we're financing that. And that thing has literally changed. I love that thing. And I could just hook up the trailer to it, take out a load of plants, and we are off to the races instead of multiple trips back and forth. And 
even harvest it's created just such an uh, easier time to harvest and we can talk to each other because it's electric so like we can actually have something on the farm that isn't super loud and noisy and doesn't require gas and it's just like and you never yeah. think about with the the size of our farm before, you know, how Much long walking. of a walk that is with a farm car, uh, cart, you know, and yeah. we, we built one of these beautiful uh, farm carts that Josh Folk uh, uh, designed and then and, and put the plans up on his website. And, uh, and it's a wonderful farm cart. But then when you have a thousand feet that you need to cross to get to your, you know, yeah. tomatoes or whatever it is that you have on the other end of the field. It's not efficient. Suddenly you, you have to figure out how to do something else. And Jess is right. That electric gator is, is kind of competing with that finger reader this year. Yeah. Cause it is <laughs> like, you know, it costs us as much a month to, uh, to make payments on as a cell phone. Yeah. And, and, and it has made a world of difference and it's one less engine that has to be maintained, which is, is kind of a blessing as, as I'm sure, you know. Yeah. And as, especially as somebody who's not good at maintaining <laughs> engines, not my, <laughs> not my native skill. So, um, I, you know, and I wanted to circle back just real quickly before we move to the lightning round here, because one of the things that really struck me last time we talked was how much effort you had put into developing and nurturing your personal relationship alongside of your professional relationship. Mm-hmm. How has the growth of your farm changed or influenced that? And what have you done in response? Wow. My lady, you first. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It makes me a little teary eyed thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> you got her, Chris. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think, I think for us, uh, it had the act of taking our farm and making really hard decisions in order to facilitate our relationship above all else has been kind of that act and that's what we've done about it it's for us making this transition has has in every way both been about the business because you know those things are so intertwined but ultimately it's jess and i's relationship it's it's how can we do this and and love each other and you know not just get by and not just be you know uh two farmers on on one farm it's it's what what can we do to create efficiencies so we can have the time back with each other and with our families? And, and I don't know. Just to connect. Like, um, I feel like even, you know, before it was, we were coming together because stuff really just needed to get done. And it felt like we were going to figure out this giant puzzle together and, didn't matter what we were just going to do, no matter what it took, you know, if it was stacking 30 tons of hay every summer together on our like Friday day off, that's (laughs) what we were going to do. And we're going to cut it out. And now it just feels like, ah, like there's more time to like, just listen to each other and to figure things out and to champion each other. Um, and and not in that aggressive way that I feel like we had to when, you know, we just needed to pay the bills and, and get it done. And 
figure it out. It, now it feels like we're kind of settling into a groove that um, there's just more balance and there's more laughter and there's more systems and it's ultimately just making our lives that much better. And we can kind of see each other in that same light that uh, we once saw when we first met each other, you know, that like spark that, um, that that person that you're working with is um, capable and like all of the positive things that you've learned and grown to love about them. It, it just really feels like this year you can appreciate that um, in more moments instead of it just feeling like, you know, you have a breakdown or something like that this year, it just kind of feels more steady and you can really appreciate that person, uh, a bit more. Yeah. I think in addition to what Jess is saying is, is it's the farm feels efficient enough right now that we can also kind of commit time to not just ourselves and our relationship and our farm, but also to lend a hand to other farmers in our community and to reach out to them. If it's, even if it's just to commiserate or if it's just to get together and talk about, you know, like brainstorm mm -hmm. steps forward for them um, uh, and us. And uh, it's, and that's something that we get to do together and helping, or I don't, I shouldn't say helping, but you know, being there to support, the people that we care about and the other farmers in our area that, that are, we look up to, yeah, that we admire and we look up to and, and create better connections is something that we can do together. You know, it's like that, that idea of that it's, you don't work on your relationship by looking at each other, sitting down and saying, Hey, let's work on a relationship. <laughs> you, you work on your relationship by sitting down and going, what are we passionate about? What do we believe in? And how can we strive to accomplish those things together? That's how you work on a relationship, or at least that's what works for Jess and I. It's a lot to think about where you're like, mm -hmm. yeah, life is, yeah. Because we still can't believe it's working. Like, that's the <laughs> thing, right? Is it's like, it's, it's starting to actually work. And I don't know what it is. Uh, there's, there's this weird conference that we've never been invited to, uh, but we, we would like to, but we're not in the cool kids club in our area yet. None and it's, uh, they call it the, uh, the naked farmer get together and it's at this hot spring and all the old school organic movement guys in our area and gals, um, they go to this and they, and they, they talk about, you know, what's working, what's not working, what's the future and all this other stuff. And they brainstorm. And one of the takeaways that one of those guys, you know, like uh, posted to social media was that they all agreed that somewhere around year 10 on a farm, everything gets dramatically easier. And, and it's because you have those systems or that you have those, that equipment that you've been saving up forever to get your hands on or, or if you or, let go of the things that aren't working too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And you start, you sort of, uh, uh, thin, thin out what's not working. And, uh, and it was interesting cause I think Jess and I are feeling, you know, that in spades right now. I've always contended that there is it. It's three years, seven years, and ten years are the big the big humps for farms. Mm. And you survive those, you're going to be okay. Absolutely, um, absolutely. Yeah. So maybe, maybe we'll get an invitation out of it. Oh <laughs> 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 uh, gosh. All right. On that note, we're going to stop here. 
get a word from our sponsor for the lightning round and then come right back and ask you a few quick questions before the end of the show. All right. Perennial support for the Farmer to Farmer podcast is brought to you by BCS America. BCS two-wheel tractors are real farming equipment for real farmers. And with PTO-driven attachments like rototillers, flail mowers, rotary plows, power harrows, log splitters, snow throwers, and even a utility trailer, and check this out, a new water transfer pump, you have got the tools that you need to get the jobs done across the farm and across the homestead. On my own farm, we went through a number of so-called solutions for mowing and tilling before we finally got smart and bought ourselves a BCS. Even though we owned a four-wheel tractor to manage our 20 acres of vegetables, that BCS tackled jobs that we simply couldn't do with the larger machine, from mowing steep slopes and around trees to working in our high tunnels. Plus, BCS tractors are gear-driven for years of dependable service. Check out bcsamerica.com to see the full lineup of tractors and attachments, plus videos of BCS in action. Jess, what's your favorite tool on the farm? My favorite tool, I have to say it's that electric gator this year. It has brought me so much joy. And in a winter where we got, I don't even know how many inches it was, but I think we would have ruined all of our grass pathways if we had to drive the tractor around. It has really just been the the unsung hero because it's so silent. <laughs> nice. but, uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that was pretty dorky. Yeah. I, I liked, I liked it. I, I, I like a little dorky. So, <laughs> Brian, are you going to be dorky too? Uh, What's your favorite tool on the farm? I. Uh oh. I mean, <laughs> you do I, like that new tractor. Yeah, I was going to say if the tractor journey was such a struggle, uh, and I think you'd. Uh, you would identify with this when you... It was like a year it took to get it here. This is the first time in our lives that we've had something that was brand new. We've never bought new cars. We've never had brand new things. And then when you look at a you know, $60,000, $70,000 tractor and it's brand new, you really start to have high expectations for those things. And, um, and we're so disappointed with that 75 E, um, uh, because yeah. we had pay for things that John Deere hadn't put together yet. Um, was, uh, getting that 5085 M I mean, that tractor, you know, it's still new to us, but having the opportunity to match your, your tire spacing, with your bed shaper, with your cultivation equipment, with your transplanter. You know, I've heard people talk about doing that uh, on your podcast, Chris, in the past. And we're finally making the steps to get to a place where all those layers are starting to work together towards success. And our farm has never, ever looked so clean, especially when it's that valuable area of new, you know, it's that other half of our farm that hasn't been tainted with weeds yet. That hasn't, um, that we haven't, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> made that many mistakes, made as many mistakes on. It's a really great timing to have, uh, that tractor on the farm to help keep things clean. So I'm excited, but we'll, we'll see next you year. You also like that hydraulic top link for it too. That's Pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah, that that Jess is right with that finger weeder and some of the other implements. That hydraulic top link on, uh, we put one on on the tractor, and um, and it's really nice instead of having to drop all your sweeps or uh, make some of those uh, adjustments with a, a mulch layer or anything like that. The ability to just do it from um, from the operator station is. It's kind of a game changer. I mean, it definitely. Uh, <laughs> oh, I used it again, didn't I? Use the word again. It's, it's, uh, it's okay. We'll, we'll, it's, 
we'll just I'll just beep it out. Yeah. <laughs> That's so good. Um, it's definitely saved me a few a uh, few steps from you know getting off and on the tractor, which is always nice. Yeah. Nice. Jess, what's Brian's farmer superpower? Whoa, that's a good one. <sighs> I feel like he sees the positive in everything. He really does. Like, no matter how crappy the germination on like something could be, or his ability to just see the good in all is amazing to me. Because if I see empty dibble holes with nothing growing out of it. I see all the holes. I see all the empty spaces and Brian will see all of the growth, all of the the possibility. And I think that's something that, um, yeah, that helps me to change my perspective on how maybe I've been taught to see the world or maybe how I've learned how to see the world uh, since I was little. And so now I am seeing more and more of the positive side of things rather than um, the negative. So I say that's definitely a superpower. Brian, how about you? What's, what's <laughs> Jess's farmer superpower? <laughs> this one is going to be way less touching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but okay, it is, it is a really, it is a superpower is <laughs> Jess's ability to see things is incredible. And, and I don't mean just like good eyes. It's like she, and, and then this was something, you know, that she had a gift, such a gift for with livestock is we'd be standing on one end of the farm and you'd, she would see like a calf and maybe just its right ear was drooping, you know, from a hundred yards, she would go, there's something wrong with that calf. And then I'd go, no, 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 it's fine. I just saw, I just checked on it this morning and she'd be like, no, there's something wrong. And she would go over there and sure enough, there would be something going on. And she does that with plants. She does that when, you know, I'm trying to look up, you know, uh, nerdy pieces of equipment online and I'm struggling. She'll immediately be able to identify the link I should be clicking on or what I'm looking for. <laughs> I don't know if it's like they call it tracking or what, but Jess has this ability to observe and be aware of everything on the farm it is really amazing and she has a second superpower <laughs> oh, uh, and then that is her memory she has the best <laughs> memory of anybody i've ever encountered in my life and it can drive me up the wall but it's so amazing when you're sitting there you know doing the bookkeeping and making sure all the checks are cashed and remembering all the csa members uh, names and and uh, all everybody's emails and all this other stuff she does that stuff without even having to think about it and i could never in my life do that and then so her i, I don't think most people could so that's definitely her second superpower <laughs> nice and then, so I'm going to ask both of you guys together, if you could go back in time and tell your beginning farmer selves one thing, what would it be? What do you think, Jess? The first thing I think about is like, just trust yourself. But I feel like even though we've, people have told us not to do things, we still do it anyway. And we, <laughs> so I don't, that's a hard one. I would tell myself that just keep trusting yourself. Yeah, because I think there are times where we broke down and we didn't trust ourselves and and that ultimately made things more difficult. You know, it, perhaps it could have been a smoother journey if we didn't trust ourselves in that way. But I also think it takes time as a couple and as business owners, you know, like we were saying about like the financial projections, like at some point in time, if you keep meeting those you have to start to believe that they are somewhat predictive of the future. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and, and I think that's true for our farming experience. If we were to go back in time and, and do something different or, to, or give ourselves a piece of advice, it would, I think it would, just is right. I think it would be, you know, trust yourselves. Because ultimately, I feel like, you know, we were both farming on our own before we met each other. And it was coming together that really brought things uh, into focus for like, we found each other through farming. Yeah. And I feel like, I don't know. You know, I, I also, I just thought of Jess's third superpower and it's, <laughs> and it's bunching things. Oh and when, when she said that, you know, we had separate farms uh, before we met each other, which was really important. And I think also allowed us to kind of build that trust because we're coming from a place of individuality of, mm-hmm. of our own power coming together was, uh, is I'll never, ever be able to catch up to her when she's bunching any, anything, kale, radishes, it doesn't matter what it is. I love helping you. She's though. twice as fast as 20. me, Chris, and it drives me up the wall. I compete with her. She doesn't know I'm competing, no. and she's still twice as fast. It's uh, killing me. It's good to have somebody who can make you humble, Brian. Man. Uh, oh, someday. Someday. Let's yeah. Jess and Brian, thank you so much for being on the Farmer to Farmer podcast today. Yeah. Thanks for having us. It was. Yeah, it's nice to sit and reflect and uh, just be a part of what you're doing, Chris. What you're doing is great. Yeah, we're we're humbled and honored by you, Chris. It's 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 such an amazing opportunity to be on your podcast again, as well as to just hopefully in a small way support what you're doing, because I think what you're doing is making big changes. I know it's made a big change in our lives, and I'm sure it's made big changes in both consumers as well as other farmers lives. So thank you for your work. Yeah, thanks. Thank you so much. All right. So wrapping things up here, I'll say again that this is episode 123 of the Farmer to Farmer podcast. And you can find the notes for the show at Farmer to Farmer podcast.com by looking on the episodes page or searching for Working Hands. That's W-O-R-K-I-N-G-H-A-N-D-S, Working Hands. The transcript for this episode is brought to you by Earth Tools, offering the most complete selection of walk-behind farming equipment and high-quality garden tools in North America. And by Rock Dust Local, the first company in North America specializing in local sourcing and delivery of the best rock dust and biochar for organic farming. Additional funding for transcripts is provided by North Central SARE, providing grants and education to advance innovations in sustainable agriculture. You can get the show notes for every Farmer to Farmer podcast in your inbox by signing up for my email newsletter at farmertofarmerpodcast.com. You can head over to iTunes, leave us a review if you enjoy the show, or talk to us in our show notes. Tell your friends on Facebook. We're at Purple Pitchfork on Facebook if you want to get a notification whenever we come out with new episodes and other exciting things are happening. And hey, when you talk to our sponsors, please let them know how much you appreciate their support of a resource that you value. You can support the show directly by going to farmertofarmerpodcast.com slash donate. I am working to make the best farming podcast in the world, and you can help. Finally, please let me know who you would like to hear from on the show through the suggestions form at farmertofarmerpodcast.com. This show happened because somebody contacted me and said, I want to hear what's going on with Jess and Brian 18 months down the road. I will do my best to get the people that you suggest onto the show. Thank you for listening. Be safe out there and keep the tractor running. 